Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror, and not physically, but said, you know, I need a lot of changes in my life. How many of you are perfectly content with the way your life is going, with who you are? I don't know about you, but I'm not perfectly content with that. I think that there's so much more that the Lord can do with me and so much more that I need to do to get out of God's way and let him work through me. Is it possible? So many people believe it is not possible for people to change. They've got that entrenched in their head. But I want to share some changed lives with you this morning to show you that with God's help, changing a life, not everything overnight, but there's a process by which God works to change a life. So let me give you a background. Uh, on a short visit to the city of Troas, T-R-O-A-S, the Apostle Paul was arrested at the home of a believer named Corpus, and he was sent to Rome. They turned him into a prisoner. His arrest was so sudden, he had no time to gather up his personal belongings. People know this who study God's word. He, didn't get his, he couldn't catch his books. He couldn't, he couldn't even pick up his coat. That's how quick this occurred, and that's how much by surprise he was taken. Tradition says that Paul was in prison in Rome's Mamertine prison. Mamertine prison had only two cells. It was underground to begin with, one on top of the other. And if you, would be, if you were a good boy, you'd be in the top one. But if you were somebody as bad as Paul, who insisted on preaching the gospel, who refused to denounce Jesus, well, you were, you were subjugated to the lowest prison part. What was the temperature down there? Well, remember, he's got no coat. The temperature was 50 degrees Fahrenheit all the time. It was filthy. It was wet. There were rats in abundance down there. When the, when the prisoners were given their bread or whatever they were given, the rats got there first. This was the fate of, of Paul. Paul writes in 2 Timothy around 67 or 68 AD, 67 or 68 AD. And he asks in this text that we're going to read, he asks his, his um, trainee, his disciple E, he asks this young man called Timothy if Timothy would come to him and bring him his books and his coat. Not a big request. But see, Paul knows something. How would you like to know what he knows? Well, you know what he knows? Paul knows this is the end of his life. Paul knows that he's not going to get out of this. The prison is not going to open up the bars and let him free. It's not in God's designs that he should be free. It's in God's designs that he should be home. We should be ready for that. Sometimes the ultimate healing in life is death. For the believers, that's not an ugly scene. That's an amazing, miraculous change in our life that's going to happen and we're going to step out of this life and step off the cliff gravity less and step into eternity are you ready you're ready if jesus is in your heart you don't have to be perfect like i've said before you just have to have christ in your heart and been following him to the best of your ability in this final in his final letter paul writes 
and uses words in a way which demonstrates that he's had a dramatic change of attitude in his life. He's not making a plea for freedom, so many people. He's not making excuses. He's not going to argue his case. He's not going to complain about his plight. He's not going to blame others for his situation, which is so common on our culture today. Blame everybody else. Take no responsibility. Paul's taking responsibility. They told me not to preach, and I said, I will not stop. Plain and simple. They told me that if I kept this up, they'd kill me. That's it. I'm resolved to that. We see how God is working in Paul's life by this circumstance. He wrote in Romans 15, 4, what I just read, for whatsoever things were written for your learning, that through patience and comfort of the scriptures you might have hope. With God's help, our attitude towards life's problems can be changed dramatically. A man named John Maxwell, a wonderful Christian fellow, wrote a book called Attitude, Key to Your Success. So let's take each of the letters of the word problem to find something that Paul wrote that's for our benefit. So when we look at problems, we look at it in the negative. But there are a lot of positive things about the problems we go through. Let's take the P in problem and call it a predictor. How you handle problems will and can mold your future. How you handle this particular circumstance may be the pattern by which you will handle other situations. Want to handle it in the right way. The R in problem. This problems are reminders that we are not self-sufficient. We need God's help and the help of others to get through the difficult times in our life. Men are built in such a way that we think, don't worry about it, I can handle this. Well, how about this? God's got this. How about we need God to help us through? How about we need to reach out to somebody who is a believer and somebody who will hold your confidence and somebody who you know will give you biblical counseling? You know, we get so much stuff, uh, regardless of what we're talking about, it's not scriptural-based. In other words, if you can't explain what, you're, what you want to share with somebody from Scripture, you're not really helping them. You're just giving them your wisdom. The O in problems are opportunities that this problem can pull us out of our rut and cause us to think creatively. Sometimes when you're under pressure, you think better. Yeah? Sometimes you look for a way to get out of it. Sometimes you cry out to God and say, God, help me to get through this. I'm in this rut. I can't seem to get out of it. I'm, I'm just in this negative mindset. I'm caught up emotionally. The problems just seem so big and overwhelming that it can't be defeated. Oh, you mean when you go to God, you go to God praying that he'll help you, but you think it's impossible? I thought I heard something in the Bible. I thought I read something a couple of times in the Bible that said, with God, all things are... Oh, yeah, baby. With God, all things are possible. It is possible that you can get this wall knocked down. The B in problems are blessings. You know, our, our problems, the uglies, the stress points, the anxiety, the negative stuff that comes out of us a lot of times really opens up doors for us to go through that we would never have gone through. It pushes us to a place at the edge of what we thought was our limits and opens up an opportunity for us to be able to push a little harder. 
be able to walk through a door we never would have gone through if we weren't under stress and anxiety and going through a hard time and seeing things as being insurmountable. We get to the door that says, with God all things are possible, we push through. Problems with the letter L are lessons. Problems, circumstances, situations, difficulties are opportunities to give us lessons. Things that we can learn about ourselves and thinking we can learn, learn about what God can do in this situation. Each problem is a challenge. And problems are our teacher. E, everywhere. Everybody has a problem. Everybody has to have a difficult situation. You're not going to get through this life unscarred. Nobody, I don't care how old you are right now, you've all gone through this. You've all come face to face with the biggest problem in your life. And you're here. You thought the last one was going to kill you, but you're here. You can get through this stuff with God's help. That's what the lesson is. And the message, they warn us about opportunities, problems, or, or warn us about potential danger. Proverbs says that a wise person sees trouble coming down the road and takes the necessary steps to deal with it or to avoid it. It's called the prudent man rule. The, the laws, business laws, adopted that prudent man rule that if you did the best you could under the circumstances with the knowledge that you had and you messed up, they don't hold you that responsible. But God says, when you see danger coming, think about what you're going to do. It's a warning. And finally, the S, problems are solvable. With God's help, no problem is without a solution. Doesn't mean that the circumstance or the situation is going to change. It could very well mean that you're going to find a way to deal with it that's better than the way you were dealing with it and asking God to open up a door. Our lesson today is found, <laughs> you thought we were already finished, right? And I could have been finished. Want me to finish? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't you like somebody to be praying for you? You need somebody to be praying for you. Do you know somebody will pause in their life and pray for you? Well, I'll volunteer. Let me know. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it's in you also. Wherefore I put you in remembrance that, thou, that you stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Claim it. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, not our past, 
but according to his purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, for which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In these 12 verses, Paul reveres his character, reveals his character. In verses 2, 3, and 4, Paul reveals himself to be a gentle man. He calls Timothy his dearly beloved. This is a guy telling a young man that he loves him and that he's moved by Timothy's tears. In verse 3, he reveals that he's a praying man. You are in my prayers day and night. And then in verses 6 and 7, he reveals himself to be an encourager. Here's this young Timothy who feels the calling of the Lord to be in ministry. And Paul says to him, stir up those fires. They're from the Lord. And he says, you've got gifts. Stir up your gifts. And Paul's not searching for his shortcomings or holding his, and this is so germane to today's politics. Paul is not holding Timothy's age against him. Timothy is a young guy, so Paul is not holding his youth against him. Think about that. I think that's something Reagan said, I'm not holding your youth against you. Verses 8 to 11 reveals he's a man who has suffered a lot, but who has accepted his hardships as the price of living out his faith in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to take that stand? Verse 12 reveals him to be a man who has placed his full confidence in Jesus Christ and he knows he would be safe in his, in his hands until he, the day he dies and stands before his Savior. Is this who Paul always was? Was he always this kind and gentle character? Are these the qualities you might have seen if you saw him as a child at play? Would you have been able to identify early signs of compassion and tenderness through his formative years? Or is this the person Paul became? So let's dig a little deeper. Our first encounter with Paul is in the scripture of Acts chapter 7. He's addressed here in his Jewish name, Saul. And he is presiding over the first recorded Christian martyr, that of the deacon Stephen. Listen to Acts 7, 57 and 8. 57 and 58. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran up to him with one accord and cast him out of the city. Talking about this deacon Stephen. And they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. What was Saul doing? He was presiding over the stoning of this Christian. Why was he being stoned? Because he wouldn't shut up. And so, this was an early form of canceling. And when you've been canceled with stones, you've been canceled once and for all. That's what they did. Paul was, Saul was the chief persecutor of the early church. According to Acts 9, he, he was authorized by the state to murder, harass, burn homes, and imprison Christians. He was as cruel and complex as terrorists of today. Like Osama bin Laden, bin Laden who did not rise from the, from the ranks of the impoverished, rather his family had wealth and status and education, so did Paul. His family status gave him Roman citizenship, 
and the opportunity to study under Jerusalem's foremost teacher, Gamaliel, which was a real honor to be able to be under this man's teaching. Life, like some of today's terrorists, Paul was religious. Like some of today's terrorists, Paul killed for a cause. He killed without conscience. It's a totally different picture than what we just saw about the man with compassion. What happened? It's a different picture. How did the beast become the compassionate soul winner? What happened that changed Saul from the unstoppable persecutor of the church to the persecuted missionary? He became persecuted. He became hunted. He became the apostle, the preacher, the church uh, planter. And he's the one that wrote so much of the New Testament. How did he change? Well, let's hear it in his own words, Acts chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what Paul says changed his life. Verses 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas and of the twelve. After that, verse 6 says, he was seen of about 500 brethren once at once, of whom the greater part remain unto you at this present, but some are fallen asleep. Some are alive, and some are dead. After that, he was seen of James, and then all, of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, also as one born out of due time. He shouldn't have even been an apostle, because in order to be an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus and ministered with Jesus. But he didn't. He was saved long after Jesus was gone. But Jesus appeared to him in his resurrected form and he authorized him to be a leader. In the 13 New Testament books God wrote through him, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a dominant theme. Why? Because Christ's resurrection is the center of our faith. It is the linchpin that holds our faith together again. Together, without the resurrection, you shouldn't even bother coming out on Sunday mornings. He's not on the cross hanging. He's not in the tomb anymore. Where is he? He's alive. He's living in you. He's living in me. The greatest proof of the re that the resurrection is factual is not the truth of an empty tomb nor the stone that was rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. Not even all those eyewitnesses that Paul wrote about. It's none of that. The greatest proof text of the resurrection is your changed life. Amen, somebody. Quick story. When I was in business back in Brooklyn, New York, one of my jobs was to negotiate with unions. The unions, many of the unions I negotiated were headed up by mobsters. On a couple of occasions, they threatened my life. On one occasion, the FBI told me I had to, I had to uh, testify against them in court. Well, here's what happened. There was one leader of one of the unions, a local, who was a very well-known gangster in Brooklyn, New York. 
He got arrested. He was thrown in jail. All his friends abandoned him. And I felt that the Holy Spirit wanted me to write to this man and to encourage him to come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And letter after letter after letter after letter I sent him. He was, he was charged with murder. He was proven not to have done it. And so he was let out. First he called his wife to come pick him up uh, from 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn to the Brooklyn prison down there. And the next person he called was me because he wanted to get together with me. So we had a date the next day to have lunch at Tiffany Restaurant on 4th Avenue in Brooklyn. And I sat down with him and he said, you know why I've called you here? I said, pull the gun out now. <laughs> no surprises. If you're going to do it, do it in my face. I know where I'm going. He said to me, because you know all that stuff you wrote about Jesus and how I could be saved, how Jesus could come into my heart? I said, yeah, I did that. I did that. I'll just tell you this as the tagline. His life changed so much that even when he went to the office every day, he spent about 15 minutes doing some business, and then he went to church to pray. He was found many times sitting at his desk reading the Bible. It got so bad that he knew that he could not continue in the mob, and he made it clear that he didn't want to be in it, and he asked me to pray that he would get out of it. Well, he did get out of it. He was murdered by the mob. Where is he living now? Where is he living now? You better believe your buttons. To be absent from this body as a believer in Jesus Christ is what? To be present with the Lord. Is that good news? That's why it's called the good news, the gospel. It's the fact of Jesus being alive that makes it possible for Paul to be transformed from his old life to his new. It was the same Jesus that had that person in the mob changed his life and want to follow Christ and did. Paul learned something over the 30 years he was a Christian. His spiritual journey, which began the day he received Christ as his Savior, was a lifelong journey. That's what you signed up for. It was not an event that started with a burst of light and dimmed over the years. Every day is a new day of growing in Christ. For Paul, life was not an aimless affair, neither is it that for you. When he made Christ the center of his life, God began to change Paul from the man he was to the man he would become. He's at work in you right now. In writing to the Philippian, Philippian church, Paul explained that this kind of transforming life experience was for all Christians. He said it this way in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. God's not finished with you yet, amen? He's still working on you. He's still working on me. I've been a Christian for a long time, a long time. And I can tell you, God is still working on me. And I say, go get it, Lord. I open myself to you. Go and get it. We saw the change in Paul. He was transformed. The change in his life could be seen by all who knew him. And how does that kind of change take place in a life? It begins with receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. 
It's a continual process that takes a lifetime of commitment to Christ and his church. Not something that's going to happen overnight. So many people have come to me over the years as, as a pastor, as a, as a person who tried his best to share the gospel, saying, well, nothing's happened. I'm not changed yet. It's going to take a lifetime. It's going to take a lifetime for all the things to change. And then when you get to a person who's been a Christian for 50 years, you're going to say, oh, I'm just beginning. Praise the Lord. It's daily submission to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and his utterances to adjust your attitude. To regular study of the Bible and prayer, it's a willingness to allow God to push you past your comfort zone and beyond the limits you've put on him and his plan for your life so that you can realize your full potential that he has envisioned for you. Over time, people will see in us what they saw in Paul, Jesus. Jesus' compassion peering out from our eyes. Jesus' love in our acts of kindness, reaching to those who are hurting spiritually, emotionally, physically. Jesus' truth by, in the standards by which we live. Jesus' words in our encouragement and our counsel. Paul advises us in this letter not to quit. He tells us to endure, to keep on keeping on, to keep the faith, and the Holy Spirit will continue his work in you and me. And over time, over time, you will see his transforming power in your life. Submit to it. Give into it. You know, there are many Christians who raise their hands like this when they, when they pray and sing, right? And what does it mean? It means I submit. Anywhere in the world you go, if, if somebody is coming to you and they're going to hurt you, you raise your hands and what do you mean? I give up. I give up. When you raise your hands in prayer or you feel the moving of the Holy Spirit and you raise your hands, it's good. You're saying to the Lord, I give up. You're in charge of my life, not somebody else. When you allow the Holy Spirit to change your life, people will be blessed. So let me just say this in closing. Go out and be a blessing. Go out from here, be a blessing. Don't be negative. Don't be downtrodden. Don't be mean-spirited. Don't be a herder. Be a helper. Be an encourager. Finally, again, be a blessing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these various examples of how you can transform our lives and want to transform our life. This is not a static thing. This is a dramatic thing. And so, Lord, open up our hearts and our minds to areas of our life which you want to have changed and help us to be willing to submit to that. And when we submit, Lord, to your utterance from the Holy Spirit of things to be changed, help us not to resist, but again, give up. I pray all these things in Christ's name, amen.